So we are carrying on in our uh, Easter Changes Everything sermon series. And um, it's important to know that this is really what sets us apart as a faith and a uh, religion. In all the other religions in the world, it's up to our efforts, our work to appease the deity. And in Christianity, it's all really about what God has done. And what God has done is he's made it so that we can engage in his own divinity. And that's important because we know that scripturally we're made in God's image. We're made to look like God. We're made to act like God. The problem is our sin has messed us up to the point where we consistently fall short in that. And so we can't do anything but harm one another and harm the world and harm ourselves. And so Christianity is different because of Easter. Easter is a resurrection. It's, it, it, it counters the power of death. It counters the brokenness in our world with a new life and a new reality. And so Easter is a little bit kind of like that wardrobe in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that, that book. Of course, you might have... I'm sure you've heard of it at least, but many of you have you've read the book. And basically the wardrobe is, uh, there's a wardrobe in this old mansion. These English kids are sent to this, their uncle's place, their relative's place because of the war. And so they go and in a, in a time when they're boring, they explore. One of them finds a wardrobe and they find all of them experience that this wardrobe gets them into a different world. It's a magical sort of thing that once they encounter it and experience it, it takes them to new places that they never even dreamed. Easter is like that. The resurrection of Christ is an invitation to a whole new world. And it's often like that wardrobe, it's hidden in plain sight, but our invitation from God is, God's invitation to us is, is, is to experience it, is to walk with the risen Christ, invite the risen Christ to work in our lives. And so what we've been doing this series is we've been looking at these first encounters that people have had post-resurrection. So we looked at the three women and the three women that came to the tomb in Luke 16, or Mark 16, Mark 16 sorry. And they really, there's a real sense of impossibility that has kind of frozen these women. And once they realize that the tomb is empty, everything changes. And they realize that the power of Jesus is foundational to this new reality of life. Today we're going to look at um, a guy named Thomas. And uh, do we remember what Thomas is known for? He's called Thomas the Right. So we're going to look at that today. Is that a fair title for Thomas? I mean, I don't think our little church is going to change it, but is that a fair title? We're going to see is that there's so many different aspects of Thomas's life and that through an encounter, through an Easter experience, Everything changes. And so that is our invitation today. But we're going to look at Thomas's experience with Christ. We're going to open our own lives to this to see where it is that God might be speaking. And we're going to challenge all of these assumptions that we've made about Thomas and also maybe even the assumptions we make about other people and our own lives as we too are called into an Easter experience with the resurrected Christ every day of our lives. So let's open our Bibles to John chapter 20, and we will, we will read from there. 
I really encourage you to bring your own Bibles to church um, because it's good to be in your own Bible. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, or the twin, one of the twelve, it wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See, my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is God's word for us. Now, the first thing that we have to see from this passage is that our mess is no match for the Easter experience. Now, Thomas, of course, is pretty famous. We know him as the doubter. And you know, one of the problems of growing up in a faith from a child on is you hear these stories over and over again, and you can start thinking these characters are one-dimensional. You know, they have one little problem that God fixes. You know, so Thomas is a doubter. Thomas sees Jesus. Thomas isn't a doubter anymore. Yay, Thomas. Thomas is free. We all know that most of us, all of us, are composed of way more dimensions than just one. All of us are multifaceted beings. We have many different concerns. We have many different issues. We have many different fears. And it all kind of just makes us these tricky, messy individuals. And you see, the truth of the matter is, Thomas is a mess. He's a mess. And if you look at all the different angles here, you see that Thomas is a lot more than just a doubter. First of all, Thomas is nowhere to be found when the disciples are meeting on the first day when Jesus rose. He has ghosted them. They don't know where he is. He's withdrawn. He's, he's gone into his cave somewhere, and no one knows where he is. Now, you could probably say maybe even that Thomas is a loner. No one knows where Thomas is. Now, there's nothing wrong with being an introvert. Many of us are. But being a loner is not good. It also seems that Thomas is a little bit of emotionally erratic. Now, what do we call that today? Well, Thomas seems like he's a little bit of a spaz, and I'll tell you why. See, Thomas says, unless I put my hands in his side, that's not what the text says. The word there is ballow. So um, the, what Thomas says to, to, the, to the, the disciples there is, he says, unless I thrust my hands into his side, I won't believe. It's like, okay, bro, Ch- chill. Thomas, like, calm, man. calm down. So he's, he's just kind of, add to that, he's shame-ridden. He had to have been. He was one of the disciples that abandoned Jesus. So he's got that going on. You see, at one point, he also made a vow to die with Jesus. In John eleven sixteen. he says, let's go up to Jerusalem that we might die with him. Well, he didn't die with him. He fled from him. So he's got that going on. So he's all, he got all this sort of stuff going on. Thomas is a downright mess. And here's the point. All of us are. And one of the problems with us as people is that we can sometimes get so absolutely 
burdened by all these different things in the world that it's hard to believe that even God could handle us. You know, we have stuff with our job. Oh, but, you know, they want me to do this better. And, uh, and oh, my, the kids are hard. And you know what? My marriage isn't all that it should be. And I have all these fears. And, and oh, it's, it's overwhelming to the point where we don't even think God can handle us. And then we've, we made all these vows. Yeah, but you know, when I said that I follow God, that I will follow him forever. I'll never. What's it, all those songs? I'll stand for you forever. And I'll never let you down. Those are the worst songs. They're just so not true. And so we have these bundles of mess. And it riddles us to the point where we think, oh. And then guess what? Jesus doesn't even knock. No knock. He just slides through the locked doors. He says, peace be with you. And he comes for Thomas. He knows Thomas is a mess. Jesus don't care. He comes to him and he says, Thomas, you don't remember you made those demands? I heard them. Here, touch my hands. Put your hand in my side. Kind of weird, but go ahead. <laughs> Jesus isn't afraid of our mess. Now, whether you don't believe him and are thinking, well, I got so much going on, I don't know. I mean, how many times have I, I invite people to church? They're like, man, if I walk into that church, I'll probably just blow up on the spot. And I was like, that's even more reason. People would love to see that, right? Yeah. I'll get everybody to watch. Maybe that's not a good idea. But even in our own lives after, it's like, no. Jesus comes to the mess. He's not afraid of Thomas's mess. And if you read scripture, it's the story over and over and over again. And you know what they call that? It's grace. They call that grace. He loves you no matter what. He's intent on being with you no matter what. He can handle your mess. And at that point, Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Isn't that amazing? You don't have to get your crap together before you get Jesus in your life. He's coming for you. He's not afraid of your mess. Our doubt is no match for the Easter experience. Jesus says to Thomas, stop doubting and believe. Now again, this is what Thomas is definitely known for. And we're going to try to hack that to pieces in the next point. But for now, there is a part of Thomas's experience where he's experienced some doubt in his life. Now, the question when it comes to doubt is what are we to do with it in our lives? Now, this is not something we've talked about a lot at our church. I apologize for that. But I do get a lot of questions from people. I'm sitting for coffee. You know, I'm doubting. I have these questions of faith. We've had it in our discipleship class. Kids are just like, hey, you know, they'll ask someone who's sharing their testimony. Do you ever doubt? All that kind of stuff. So is doubt a sign that your faith is in trouble? Is doubt a sign that your faith is doomed. What is the deal with doubt? Now, here's the first thing you need to know about doubt. You can't doubt if you don't believe. Amen? How can you doubt if you don't believe? If you don't believe, doubt is not a problem for you. So, doubting is something that the believer does. Now, that's a good thing. Because you can't doubt if you don't believe. So there's that. The second part is this. Maybe it isn't necessarily a bad thing to doubt. I mean, maybe doubt is important in developing our belief and our faith in God. Maybe God allows us to be tested in this area. Maybe doubt pushes us towards belief. I mean, seriously, how strong will your faith be if it's not tested? Think of Thomas here. He's so troubled with this belief, with this doubt, with being dejected and knowing Christ, Christ dying. At the end of it, he makes the greatest 
declaration any of the disciples have ever made. See, the testing of your faith is a good thing. I think of this past week. You, you probably know of a company called SpaceX. SpaceX is a big company, and they make all of their money sending satellites into space and equipment and supplies for the International Space Station. They found a way to make it way more affordable than other people and even NASA. But their big goal is to get people on Mars one day, which is like, I know a few people who we could send to Mars. It's a good idea. Well, they just launched a rocket. And um, it was the biggest, it was the fastest rocket that they'd ever made, ever. And they launched it out of somewhere next to the ocean, which is a good idea, unless you're swimming in it. And they launched this thing, and, and you could hear everybody at SpaceX clapping, yay, we launched it, which is like, yeah, that was kind of the point. And then they got it past the tower, and they were, yay, we got it past the tower. And then they got it way up into orbit, yay, and then the thing goes, and I'm thinking, okay, now there's going to be some, ooh, ah, ooh, but no, they keep cheering, ah, whoa. Now, I was watching a later, little later, and then Chris Hatfeld did an interview on a Canadian news network. And he says it's a huge success because it got further than they had ever hoped. It was a test rocket. Now, sometimes doubt works like that. Now, of course, God never wants to blow us up. But sometimes life and the challenge of faith and belief pushes us to our limits, like it did Thomas. And it's not a bad thing. But here's the thing. There's a difference between real doubt and fake doubt. There are people who, be, who hide behind the word doubt that they don't even want to engage in a real pursuit of the truth. And that's called just unbelief. You see, there are two types of doubters out there. There are those who are false, false doubters and there are those who are real doubters. There are those who will be presented with the evidence the evidence of Christianity, and they won't even entertain it as an option. That's not doubt. That's disbelief. And they will say, yeah, well, it's, this is a myth. It's just a myth. How do I know it's true? Well, you know it's true because there's evidence of it. Because there's people who saw the empty tomb, and not just the disciples. There are first century historians who didn't even like Christians who admit that Jesus rose from the dead. So it's not about Evidence, because evidence is there. And they'll say things like, and by the way, well, this is, one day I was in a coffee shop and I heard a couple old people talking really, really bad about pastors for about 30 minutes. So I interrupted them, told them I was a pastor. And it was kind of fun. And they, and they would say, yeah, well, it's, 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 it's just all a hoax. It's all a hoax. I've heard this many times. Yeah, so what, I was like, okay, how is it a hoax? Oh, because all these disciples, they got together and they got the story. They didn't talk like that. I'm just, sorry. I'll, they got together. I, I sound like I'm not being nice. They got together and they got all their details and all the details were the, exactly the same. And you know why they did it? For money. I said, oh, isn't that funny? So did they get paid when they got ripped apart in the Colosseum by lions? And they got lit on fire by Nero? Anyways, it kind of went downhill after that. But the fact is, 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 is this is not a myth or a theory. And I just, I know I'm kind of going off on a tangent a little bit here. But for those of you who are at the point where you've been presented with the facts and you still don't believe, 
Don't you dare hide behind the word doubt. That's not doubt. It's a refusal to believe. It's a refusal to do the due diligence of looking at the evidence that's before you. Now, Charles Colson, I've, sh- I've shared this before. Charles Colson was in on the Watergate scandal. He was as, as guilty as anything. And he says this. He became a Christian in prison. He says this. I know the resurrection is a fact. And Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if that weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. So again, and and why am I harping on this? Because there are people who, they hide behind, well, I, I just... I just, I just have some serious doubts. No, you're not looking at the evidence. And so you're hiding behind the word doubt when you're not doing the due diligence that all of this evidence is putting before you and actually looking at it. Because if you actually look at the evidence, now you can't say, I can't believe it anymore. You're saying, I won't believe it. And maybe you're scared, or maybe you don't want to change your life, or maybe you think... God's going to blow it up like that rocket. He's not. You're just not doing it. Genuine doubt, however, is examining the evidence, is walking with God, wanting it to be true, and still having a real pit of the feeling, a pit of the stomach feeling that it's too good to be true. And it nags at you. So what do you do about it? Thomas wants to believe. Thomas loves Jesus. Thomas followed Jesus. And then Jesus dies, and he goes and runs away. How is Thomas turned from a doubter to a believer? Encounter. Encounter. He encountered the living Christ. Now, I'm not going to say that all of the problems in the world in your life would evaporate if you encountered Christ, but I'm telling you, it would help a lot. When is the last time you sat down with your Lord and you just spent some time? You went for a drive, you went for a walk, you got a coffee, you sat at the dike, and you just spent time and say, God, here's my, here's my mess. Here's my problems. Here's where I'm struggling. Do you hear me? Do you know me? Jesus is alive. Amen? And he invites us to encounter. Stop hiding behind disbelief and encounter the risen Christ because he's real and he cares and he's risen. You can also take your pastor out to White Spot for a club sandwich, yam fries, bottomless iced tea. That will help. Third, our labels, our labels are no match for the Easter experience. Oh, no, all right, so this is, this, is, this is what sticks in my craw, and it has for a while, reading this Thomas story. For history, we've labeled him the doubter. Now, we all live in a world where we just define people. Oh, yeah, that guy, he's a loser. Oh, that guy, he's a stoner. Oh, that guy, he's got a temper. Oh, that guy, he's a flake. Blah, 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 blah. We, we label people. It's easier. It's just easier to wash our hands of people. It's easier to just put people in categories. And we've done that with Thomas. For 2,000 years, he's been the doubter. Is that honestly fair? Now, Thomas is dead, Okay. It's not like I'm going to go back in the back room after the sermon and say, hey, buddy, I did good things for you today. He's gone. But it's our propensity to label people 
wrongly. See, here's the thing. God isn't about old labels. He's about making new ones. It should be noted that Thomas isn't the only one who didn't believe. Watch this. Look at this. Who else didn't believe? Mark 16, 11. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Huh. Oh, that's interesting. Mark 16, 11. Mark 16, 13. They returned and reported to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Huh. Luke 24. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Huh. None of them believed. But Thomas gets the label. I don't see this anywhere else in Scripture. Noah was a drunk. Noah got rip drunk after he stopped the boat. We don't call him Bender Noah. How about King David? God says he's a man after God's own heart. But he was an adulterer. We don't call him homewrecker Dave or adultery Dave for centuries. How about Dave? Or how about Peter? He not only denies Jesus, he curses Jesus. We don't know him for the last 200 century or, or 2,000 years as potty mouth Pete. Oh, potty mouth Pete, he's my favorite disciple. Man, could he tear some words in? But we do this with Thomas, and we do it to ourselves, and we do it to others. And we say, and I've heard people say, well, I'm not smart enough. Oh, I'm not good enough to do that. And we use these adjectives to describe ourselves, to name ourselves, and there's power in names. There's power in labels, but Jesus is in the new label-making business. Thomas the doubter should be known as Thomas the testifier because Thomas makes the most incredible, articulate, most powerful declaration after he meets Jesus, and it is my Lord and my God. What label are you pigeonholed by in your life? I'm not smart enough. I'm not lovable enough. No one will ever... Maybe you should go meet with Christ about that. See, at the beginning of our message, we talked about the wardrobe. I think Lucy is the one that goes in first, right? Come on, you. C.S. Lewis nerds, this is where we need you. He goes in first, she goes in first, and then they mock her. It's much like our world. The call to Easter, the call to Christ is experience him. Know him. And it's a whole new ball game. Walk into the wardrobe of his grace and power. For those of you with an old label, it's time for a new one. For those of you straddled and riddled by doubt, it's time to believe. And for those of you who are just a big mess, welcome to the club. It's time to know his grace. Let's walk into that reality together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the beautiful story of Thomas, who apparently went off into was one of the only disciples that died a natural death, but he did so declaring your name. Tradition has it in, uh, in Asia. God, remind us that you are for us. Help us, Lord, as we struggle with all this to embrace the risen Christ and encounter you in your name. Amen.